Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. It's just great. It's great. This is a podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us are Canadian, one of us is American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Joanna Boyd, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver, BC, Canada area. All right. Where's the rest of you guys? Yeah, crickets. Where's everybody else? Insert cricket noise. Um, It's just the two of us tonight. It's just us. Just us. It's just the two of us. Brooke and Chris uh, are not able to join us tonight, and that's just fine. Joanna and I get to talk. Uh, about uh, one of our favorite topics we're not even going to ambush because it's just the two of us and it's a very timely topic it is yeah it's a timely topic because uh when we found out that chris and 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 brooke were going to be uh away i said hey no problem i'll find a guest or two and we'll just bring guests on and you know what happened joe what happened ryan i forgot to do that I didn't write it down. I usually write it down. I didn't write it down. I didn't bring in any guests. And we record so late on Thursday nights that uh, there's no one available. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Genuine genuine surprise that that was actually a plan that had happened. But that's okay. Here we are. A few weeks ago, I did really have a topic. that wasn't a screw up really. This one, this one was a screw up. I, I promised we'd get some people I didn't, but it's all right. There are plenty of podcasts out there that have two co-hosts and talking about a topic. We can do that for tonight. We can. We're going to spend a little time talking about a, uh, a topic that we both encounter professionally. And I know at least I encounter it personally. I don't know if you do. Um. I think in some ways, I think it surprises me a little bit because uh, if you knew me and my work habits and um, <laughs> my personal space, it's it's definitely not what you would picture. But I think it gets me in some areas as okay. a surprise. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that topic, of course, perfectionism. Perfectionism. Per- perfectionism. The whole idea that we must be, well, I guess we can define perfectionism, right? Sure. As we usually do with our topics. So perfectionism, I would say off the cuff that that is a like an internal drive that we have to um, to make sure that everything turns out just ideally, mm-hmm. in the most perfect sense, flawlessly. Um, and there's the sense that if it's not flawless, then there's something something bad could happen or that reflects poorly on who I am as a person. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they failed. I'm not good enough. I can do it. Yeah, not good enough. Not good enough. You know, what's wrong with me? And I'm going to kick myself uh, if, I, if it's not perfect. Usually, like, oftentimes perfectionistic standards are pretty high. Like, I need to get it right the first time, and it needs to be 100%. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then I'm a failure or a fraud, or people will find out that I'm a failure or a fraud or something like that. The thing is, is that this ideal of I have to be perfect or this... Um... Is there such thing as perfection? I know you can get 10 out of 10 on a test. You know, there's, you can maybe meet all your, yeah. Like, and I think in some ways um, when we don't have measurable things that way, um, perfectionism might be hard to measure or might be hard to achieve. 
I think it is hard to measure because uh, again, like how do you how do you measure something like a piece of artwork or mm -hmm. you know something creative or crafty, um, even you know a workout or a paper or writing writing some uh, story or essay or report or something like that. When mm -hmm. is it perfect? I guess it could be grammatically correct, mm -hmm. but does that mean that it's perfect? Still, some people have this kind of deeply held need to uh, to make sure that things are perfect, or they're really vigilant about things being perfect, right? Yes, definitely. Or, let's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, let's let's think about where that might come from. You know. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't. When I see perfectionism or hear about perfectionism in clients, you know, there there's it's anxiety is really not far behind or it's kind of mixed in there a little bit but sometimes it it comes from younger years right uh, messages they might receive from uh, caregivers or people around them or maybe it felt really good to get praise and maybe they've and there's some self-worth put on that now and so they kind of seek that out or you know yes so. yes I think I think it can be coming from yeah a lot of those places I think early early life kind of uh, sets the mold for a lot of things in, in our later life. And uh, I guess the topic, the idea that comes to mind for me is, is like conditional love. Like mm. if you felt like you were only, you only got that praise if it was perfect. Uh, and if it wasn't perfect, then you would, you know, oh, if there's something wrong with you, you'd be criticized. Right. Um, then there's this, you know, that it's kind of paired with, perfection like it has to be i'm only good enough i'm only going to get love i'm only going to get attention and uh acceptance if mm -hmm. it's perfect and that could be you know childhood like school experiences that could be stuff at home that could be stuff from your peers or siblings yeah but uh if it's like uh oh if it's not perfect then it's then i'm no good that's a uh it's a pretty negative message it is for sure do you think, where else would it come from other than childhood then? Or do you think it kind of starts back then? I, I mean, I think it, I think that's a big part of it. So I think I talk about conditional love and, and kind of a close neighbor to that would be shame, mm. which uh, we haven't talked much about that. I don't think yet on the podcast, but kind of a, a popular conceptualization of shame, guilt mm -hmm. being, I'm, uh, I feel bad about what I have done. And shame mm -hmm. being, I feel bad about who I am, right? Okay. Like it's like it's a real. It's, I've identified with that. Like instead of saying, "Oh, you did that wrong," like a parent might say, "Oh, you did that wrong." Instead, they say, "You're a bad boy." You know, that's mm -hmm. a shame mm -hmm. message, right? Mm -hmm. You are bad. Yeah. So you've done something bad, and mm -hmm. so I think that um, I think that for a lot of folks, perfectionism does come from like a a place of shame. Like, oh, I'm. If I don't get this perfect, then I am bad, or I'm trying to ward off my shame or fight back on shame by uh, having a perfect product. Because I guess if I do well, then I am good, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So yeah, yeah, I find that those those kind of go hand in hand with with clients I've seen where perfectionism perfectionism has been a real sticking point for them. Mm -hmm. uh, we can usually dig it back there and figure out. Oh gosh. You had messages that you just were bad, like in your essence at your core. And mm -hmm. uh, this is your way to try to fight back against that. 
Do you think it could be present if uh, in situations where people might not get those messages from caregivers and it, you know, like, you know, you're getting the message, you're loved, all this, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what would be? Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Certainly not trying to blame caregivers and, and, and everyone in the person's early environment for that. But I think what you mentioned before was, you know, someone, Maybe they're not, maybe it's not so much that they're shamed or they, it's a conditional love thing for doing imperfect work, but mm -hmm. they get so much praise for doing perfect work. They just love that. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I really want that so badly that, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm afraid of not having it. Maybe, I mean, I don't know who I'd be if I didn't have straight A's and a hundred percent on my report cards and stuff like that. So I really want that. Yeah. And that's more of a kind of an achievement based uh identity there right i really i need the gold star or else i don't or else i'm not uh, that's, uh i'm not living up to my potential yeah. or something like that there's a lot, a lot of pressure star. yeah gold star bust really mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and i also think that you know in a very realistic so this is all childhood stuff but i think as we get older maybe start uh start getting you're getting jobs you're in the work environment something like that um you know certainly there could be cultures there or, or just fears that people have if I don't do a perfect job I could get fired and that is actually a reality in some yep. jobs you know for sure so it makes a person kind of hyper hyper vigilant who would say mm -hmm. like very very aware of any sort of flaw because oh my gosh if I don't have if I don't do perfect then I could get fired and then I can't pay my bills and then mm -hmm. you know yeah. ca catastrophizing from there right I think uh it's I had a client today and and just note to any talking about clients it's usually yeah everything's confidential in terms no names are used for people who might be yes. curious or um but there was a almost a perfectionist desire based on what other people expected from them thinking that other people expected them to look a certain way or to be put together and that was something they tried to be other people from an early age try to model after people and they actually don't really know much themselves what they're like but um they're just trying to make decisions about simple things when i'm or not simple things big things but like my next job that's a big thing or do i go to school university and um it's just this fear of doing the wrong thing because it's will it be the way they hope it will be um will other people still see them in that same way and they're very aware that they have perfectionistic tendencies but it's just it consumes them and it's one wrong step so now they just don't make any decisions because there's that fear i don't know if that would fit in um oh sure and all will but it's one area right it's not just kind of yeah job focused of doing a good or you know test focused etc but um yeah perceptions living up to certain ideals yeah sure mm -hmm. i don't want to let people down right i don't want to I don't want to tarnish my reputation or um, uh, make people think poorly of me, right? Right. So yeah, I guess that could all just be based on kind of where you are, like what what are your your highest values, your highest concerns in that in that moment or at that time? You know, mm -hmm. do I need to have food on the table? I need to have this job. You know, I'm just thinking about pleasing the boss, I guess, or making mm -hmm. sure that I don't show any flaws there. Or if your friend group is, gosh. The most important thing and they have yeah. some expectations you don't want to let them down either mm -hmm. i'll also throw out a word um which 
we'll need to unpack a little bit and that is like an insecurity okay um and i don't say that in any negative negative sense i mean in just in a pure sense of i don't feel very safe or secure in this when this moment or in this relationship or in this mm. place and so it's it's the the worker who feels like they're they could be fired at their first mistake that is an insecure place to be mm-hmm. you know if if you're at, if you're at a job where everyone makes mistakes and and the bosses understand that and recognize it and say it's fine you're learning mm-hmm. you know keep growing mm-hmm. uh then that's then you're going to feel more secure like okay I, I have freedom to make a mistake here and there it's not about the end of the world um if you're in a relationship where you're with a person who is highly critical of you yeah uh and every time you make a mistake they notice it they point it out and they put you in the doghouse then that's a that's going to make you feel insecure mm-hmm. yeah and then i'll i'll say on one more level which is a like a personal feeling about yourself even because a lot of people don't aren't really sure about how they feel about themselves we do a lot of time uh, spend a lot of time in therapy trying to help people love themselves or you know talk to themselves nicer or you know have a better self image and uh if you don't feel if you feel like you yourself are always on the brink of failing yourself yeah then that could cause that that kind of insecurity too can it definitely for sure i think that feeds into it quite a bit mhm yeah yeah it's interesting it I think the kind of perfectionism I see, uh, I'm trying to think about, I haven't thought of this before. Like, I, I think the way it's introduced to me a lot of times is um, a, looking at uh, like a specific task. Like I had a paper to write and I hit send, but oh, I forgot to correct a few things and uh, I beat myself up with my perfectionism, right? Yeah. I, I hear clients saying when they were trying to fall asleep at night, and that's usually when a lot of these wonderful thoughts kind of come in is yep. um, they yeah go over, relive all these conversations with people and um, or the things said or done. And it, they're uh, kind of tormented a little bit by um, yeah. Rethinking those things. And did I say the right thing or do now what do they think of me? And yeah, I feel like that we have those thoughts a lot of the time and it's not necessarily just for people who worry about perfectionism, but I think it is tied into it a little bit for sure. So, Well, 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 we were ambushed, it turns out. A bit of a late ambush, it would seem. Yes, welcome. We, Thank you. We have a, a guest partway through here and it's uh, Dennis Boyd, uh, Chris and I's dad. So welcome, Pop. Good to be here. How are you two doing? Oh, good. doing well. Doing Back well. Yeah, good. Good. We're we're in the midst of talking about perfectionism. Oh my. And uh, Ryan talked a little bit about bringing shame and guilt into that, and talking about insecurity. And so we're kind of just yeah, we come across this in our in our work, and so yeah, thought it'd be an important topic. Great topic. Uh, do you guys, did you come to some conclusions around people, how people end up getting in that perfectionistic uh, channel at some stage in their lives? And uh... we, we've pot, we talked about a couple ideas. One was that maybe that some, some people maybe grew up in an environment where uh, kind of perfection 
was expected of them and uh, maybe they were experiencing some like conditional love uh where it was like if you don't get 100 percent, then i'm you're going to be punished i'm going to sh- i'm going to shut you out somehow right um and others other ideas being that uh you know even later on in life maybe with a critical partner or a uh in a job environment where people are getting fired all the time for making mistakes that can make a person feel pretty insecure um and then just kind of a personal insecurity as well like if you have a hard time loving and accepting yourself then you're going to be kind of measuring yourself based on uh how well have i done you know how, how good did i do on this right yeah I always liked uh, Rudolf Dreikers, uh, the Adlerian, who had brought the phrase, whether it was his or somebody else, that we have to have the courage to be imperfect. And that, um, and by accepting imperfection, and that our humanity, that it takes a lot of stress off us. And uh, um, because I think we all, in spite of our good attempts, have our foibles and our weaknesses. I certainly have mine. And uh, normalizing that a bit for ourselves, I think takes a bit of pressure off too. We're all a work in progress. And um, I'm not sure we can overcome that insecurity necessarily by self-love. I think that uh, our profession is really good at promoting that perception or that that pitch. Uh But I think some of the most secure, happy people I know are fairly detached and they're very much focusing on loving other people and making their, Uh not in a dependent way, so to speak, but in a way that uh really builds community builds relationship and there's uh there's rich spiritual traditions that promote that approach as well of course so uh but we certainly have to value ourselves and take care of ourselves because we can't do much of anything if we're getting too tired and too wasted and uh, and whatnot so it's uh it's an interesting challenge for sure i like that a lot dennis i think that's that's spot on that really i've heard people say that that uh and when you're giving to others and receiving that, you know, that the good feeling that you have of like, wow, this is really nice yeah. to be contributing to someone else's life that, that, that feels kind of incompatible with the self-hate, you know, it's like, how can you, yeah. if you're producing something that's, that's good and making other people happy, how could you, you be an awful person, right? So there's something that's generative about that. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But I think there's a where the detachment comes in, I think, is if I'm trying to be good to my neighbor and I'm waiting for that positive feedback, mm-hmm. I'm being a, an altruistic humanist there. And uh, and it couldn't it may not work if they don't give me the feedback. I could be pretty disappointed. Uh, whereas if I just do it out of love for them or humanity or whatever that there's that piece that tends to come with that. It's very paradoxical. I find it very interesting, but uh, it, it leads to better community for sure. Oh, sure. Sure. That's great. We have a neighbor who uh, we share driveways and we have some very large trees in our front yard, big Douglas firs. And these trees drop needles and cones all over the place. And every once in a while, I'll go out and blow, blow the driveway. And I tended to blow the, the woman next door is a single parent on her own. And I, uh, I tend to blow her driveway, but uh, sometimes last few times I haven't bothered to do it. And uh, I just left it and she didn't do it either. So it's become very messy. And uh, and I was out there the other day and I got thinking, why don't I just blow her driveway? And I realized why I hadn't. Um, she had cut back some hedge between our yard, just murdered the trees so that there's it's affected the privacy. And I think on some level, I was carrying a little grudge there. And uh, I managed to overcome myself, uh, uh, foible there and uh, just, and you know what? 
was great. Got her done, felt great. Um, had to convert there, a little sort of uh, stretching into loving what I didn't necessarily feel like doing it. And I, I did a perfect job though. So that, that helped a lot. Uh, <laughs> That's the perfectionism. There we go. Oh, that's great. What if we have people, you know, there's that a little bit of that, maybe, um, like you said, dad, uh, sometimes expecting that response or that, um, yeah, from someone acknowledgement, but how about if we're, you know, someone who might deal with perfectionism and there's individuals who are trying to tell them you don't have to be that way, or this is not what we're expecting, or, you know, it's what you're doing is good enough and you are good enough. What makes it difficult for that person to still not? Yeah take that in or for them how would we recommend they really yeah work at tackling their perfectionism and those tendencies it's difficult isn't it because you you want to explain it and of course it bounces off um maybe there's a place where you could remember the old what's the worst could happen if you weren't you know perfect well people would this and that and and they they pursue that to the point where they realize there's nothing really that negative that is going to happen. So there, there may be a bit of that, but I'd be tempted to ask them about times when they didn't feel perfect and maybe some examples of where they were, were doing things and uh, that they judged to be imperfect and, and, uh, and then maybe ask them uh, how others around them would have judged those same things if they'd known a little more about them, would they have seen it the same way? And maybe just coming at it from more experiential place might help joe i don't know because mm -hmm. yeah it's just throwing some thoughts out there some ideas out there yeah. yeah yeah i think uh there are two two i guess alternate terms i like to to work with people on one one being excellence instead of perfection or not maybe not even excellent but just doing your best right yeah. <laughs> doing mm -hmm. doing the very best you possibly can maybe that turns out perfect in some way maybe it is 100 out of 100 on the exam or maybe it's not but you tried your hardest and that that uh that in itself could be more satisfying i guess mm -hmm. for some people mm -hmm. and and then the other which is an even maybe a little lower bar is the good enough right which is um you know, this whole right. idea from uh from donald winnicott um the good enough mother or the good enough parent where there's this a lot of pressure at, at points in history for p parents to be perfect and i think that's that's consistent today, you know, parents still feel like, oh, I have to do everything perfectly or else my kid's going to resent me or they're going to have a problem growing up or something like that. And this whole idea that, well, really, as a parent, you don't need to be perfect. In fact, there is no real way to measure perfect as a parent. Um, and in fact, sometimes if there are some lapses in parenting, if the, if the kid isn't fed exactly when they're hungry or if they aren't uh, soothed exactly the way they need to be soothed every time, then maybe that helps them build some resilience and uh, helps teach the kid to, to self-soothe or to, to take care of themselves in some way. So the idea of, of good enough can actually, that is excellent when it comes to parenting. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, there, there are some jobs where, you know, I want, I want excellence or close to perfection. If I have brain surgery, I want that brain surgery to go really darn well, you know? Yep. Um, but uh, if it's about, uh, trimming the hedges in my yard I, I, I'm fine with good enough it's <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. fine it's okay you know yeah you want your brain surgeon to be in the top part of his graduation class pre preferably right up near the 80 90 80 100 yeah yeah yes way way up there 
so so I guess in, in you know Joe, you mentioned like, if you've got a, a client who's is concerned about uh, perfectionism and has having a hard time taking in maybe some of the other the feedback they're getting from other people. Well, you know, gosh, you're, this is fine, or you're doing a great job, or yeah. you know, no, you're not about you're not on the brink of losing your job. You're one of our top performers, mm -hmm. and still they're continuing to kind of ruminate and worry themselves. Yeah, uh, definitely. And there's there's the piece that this person in particular they would you know do something and feel it's not good enough and and do it again. But there's also a flip side where I've also heard that people it kind of um, this this focus on perfectionism actually creates avoidance and procrastination and, and not even bothering to start it because they already think it's not going to be good enough or they're not going to succeed at it. And so you have the, the, it's kind of two, it's the spectrum a little bit. Um, yeah. They're not even able to engage in it because it's already, they've already made up their mind or it's, it's too stressful to think about the idea mm. of not getting perfect. Do you think there's a fear under there somewhere that there's a fear uh, that if they don't do it perfect by however they define that, that's, uh, there's a, a painful consequence of sorts for them. There must be some sort of fear there. Uh, oh, yeah. Rejection or, or whatever, that yeah. is probably an irrational fear, but you think if they could identify the fear, it might help with the motivation. I'll, I'll sometimes ask clients, whose, whose voice does that sound like? Or whose voice does that remind you of? You know? Oh, that's cool. Okay. And they've got that critical, you know, voice like, oh, you've got to get it perfect. What does mm -hmm. that remind you of? You know, was that your second grade hockey coach? Was that your, uh, your grandmother? Who, who was that? That was, mm -hmm. does that remind you of? And sometimes, oftentimes they're able to say, you know what? That sounds a lot like my, whatever, my older sister, something like that. Yeah. And then we could say, okay, so if that's your older sister's voice, and how would how would you like to respond instead? You know, mm -hmm. what kind of a message would you like to tell yourself? Oh, it's okay, you're doing good enough. Everyone says you're doing fine. So just distinguishing that sometimes could be helpful for people. Totally, I like that. Janita Fisher uh, talks about we're we're parts. Each of us is a part. Uh, there are several parts to us. I have a client I'm seeing now who's going back to work after. A bereavement, a serious heavy loss. And mm. she is a bit of a perfectionist at work. She tries really hard. What she knows though about going back is she has to improve her boundaries. So there's a part of her that I call Super Sally. Uh, and uh, her first name Sally. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then she we got to make sure Super Sally does because there's a sensible Sally too. And then there's the little girl, Sally, who is the one who probably wants to do things perfectly and to help her to see that these are different parts of who she is. And it was interesting because I was teasing her about Super Sally, you know, worrying about this or that. And then uh, Sensible Sally showed up and kind of calmed down Super Sally. And so what you're saying there, that voice, I think within us, we have different voices that we can sort of call upon to to balance things out a bit, if you like. Um, mm. And that it's not one voice doesn't have to necessarily take over. Although when we're tired, maybe the little little boy or little girl voice is gonna take over more, I don't know. But I found that rather an interesting way of kind of uh, dissecting it a bit. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Sure. And your comment about it, it, you don't have to achieve so much. It's not the goal so much as the effort you put in. I, I love it when parents do that. All I want is some effort and whatever it turns out to be, I'm sure 
That's that's the measuring stick. Putting in a bit of effort, the result is less important. That's it's brilliant parenting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do that, Ryan. <laughs> I, I try. There's living proof right there. Oh, let's not let's not unpack that. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. we're not going to get into there for, No, no, you were there for my procrastination uh, talking about in that procrastination episode. I, I have yeah. my yeah. Anyways, but no, you definitely encouraged effort and uh, we're very supportive in that way. You, you and mom both. So, but anyways, <laughs> I always have work to do as we all do, but yeah. Another thing, Dennis, as you mentioned about, uh, I guess, faith traditions and kind of the emphasis on giving and, and giving to your community and, and loving one another, that sort of a thing. And, and another sort of faith concept that I'd like to throw out there is grace. You know, there are people who are oftentimes very much focused on, you know, like the letter of the law. I have to get this done right every single step of the way. And the ability to kind of expand your your capacity for grace, extending grace to yourself. You know what? I don't have to do it all today. I don't have to do it all 100% right now. I can have a little bit of leeway here. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a hard concept for some people to, to grasp onto because, you know, they're so used to shooting for 100%. Right. But, uh, but gosh, when you can really get good at kind of accepting, you know, giving and accepting grace, it could be uh, very, very helpful. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Yes. To Sometimes. be more graceful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To, to extend that. Maybe even grace-filled on occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's out there. Maybe they uh, just... Uh, plugging into it sure yeah yeah for sure also just another side note to that kind of a a similar note um a a common thing that that i've done as a therapist as well is is talk about you know if this was your if this was your best friend who was dealing with this issue or Mm -hmm. had made this little mistake over here how would you be talking to her you know and it's usually a dramatically different conversation they would have right yeah. We're, we're oftentimes so much uh, so much more equipped to give that grace, extend that grace to other people than to ourselves. Definitely. And I think whenever, you know, I, I bring up that with clients as well. And, and it's that they're so quick to come up with all these supportive things they would say to a, cl- a friend in that situation. But they're like, but for me, I just can't tell myself that. Or I hold myself to a different level, right? And it's the, and it, you hear that across the board, right? Um, and so it's like, what is that? Is there a feeling that goes along with it? Is there a felt sense in the body that lets you know that this is not okay, or I need to do something different or I don't, yeah. What's the difference there where you can have the cognitive thought you could identify if it's rational or not, but there's the, why do, why are we harder on ourselves in that way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question. I think, um, there's something just touching on the spiritual there. Uh, the best uh, preacher preaches the homily, not with his words, but with his life, with his actions or with her actions. And so if I'm going to encourage others to do this or that, if, I'm a, if I realize that my modeling that for them is a gift to them, then I'm doing uh, my adjustments, not so much for me or fighting with me anymore. I'm doing it as a way of helping my friend or child or whatever to through example so 
I'm doing, I can't seem to do it for myself, but if I can do these things differently, then it becomes part of me as well. Maybe there's a bit of room for that too, so that we try to be an example of the of what we teach, right? Like if we're teaching people how to manage stress, we should be giving it a reasonably good shot ourselves, even mm -hmm. though it's an ongoing challenge, yeah. That's a great point. That's right. Yeah. So if, if, if I guess, yeah, that kind of goes to like the motivation. Okay. If you're more motivated to give to others, fine. Give, give them an example of, uh, of, of being gracious and being, and being gracious to yourself and being self-forgiving. And then maybe that's some way to kind of sneak in the back door there. Maybe. Eh? <laughs> I'll try, Joe. Sorry, you said give it a try. <laughs> sure. I'll report back. Yes. I, I guess another piece of this is, is maybe just kind of a reframing, you know. Um, uh, I've, I've been perfectionistic with, with things that I write and things that, you know, if I'm, if I'm throwing someone a birthday party or something like that. I want to make sure it's all great. You know, if I'm hosting something, I want to make sure it goes really well. Um, and, and then I start beating myself up for that. And it's sometimes helpful for me to just reframe and go, okay, I'm feeling this way because I really, I care. I really want this to go well. I care about this and I want this to matter and I want it to be. And, and if I kind of break it down into what that's really about for me, I care about this person. I want them to have a good time at the party. I care about this paper. I want it to be well received. Um, then that kind of changes the focus. Instead of it's it's got to be perfect. To it, this matters to me. This is important to me. Mm. And that's a uh, it, it helps me relax a little bit. Yeah, you know, and take the emphasis on perfection and just on to wanting it to go well. You know. Mm. Yeah. Could could we make a case for uh, perfectionistic thinking? Uh, being a pretty good example of irrational thinking, it, that it is an irrational type of thought to have, because in reality, none of us can really be perfect. We're all a work in progress. And if we can categorize it even sometimes as irrational, then I go to the emotionally focused people again, who that tells me right away, your stress levels are high. My likelihood to have perfectionistic thoughts for myself or others is gonna be much higher when my stress levels are high. If I'm really tired, if I'm, I'm not taking care of myself. So it goes back to what emotions am I not dealing with? What tears have I not shed? What anger do I need to get out of my system so that I, my brain doesn't go to that perfectionistic place? I wonder if there can't also be a link there. Like in a way that people try to cope with some of those emotions, right? Like if, if they're stressed or dealing with a lot, do you feel like some people kind of focus on something that they might be able to control? like something to hone in on a little bit? Well, I think we do try to control our emotions. I think we were all brought up in our generation anyway to do that, put it mm -hmm. away and push on, as you've heard me say. And so we've ended up getting a lot of very stressed out people who don't legitimately allow their upset to come out because it's seen as weakness or whatever. So that, that accumulation of tension is going to distort the way I think and it's mm -hmm. going to make my goals unrealistic perhaps. Or So I was thinking of it, from that, but then feeling out of control with the emotion, the best way to get rid of that is to share it and write it down or whatever yeah, you sure. gain control. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, that might be a cleaner way to try and cope with that. I don't know. Definitely. I think um, definitely a cleaner way. 
I, I, yeah, I think I was just pointing out like how sometimes people might try to control things, you know, they feel so out of control in certain areas and there's something to focus their attention on. Not saying it's the healthiest thing to do, but I think it's quite common. Um, But it's, yeah. The other part of that is if I'm so busy controlling my emotions and keeping my story inside as a way of coping, I'm going to control you too. I end up controlling my environment. So there could be a, a ripple effect too, maybe. Mm. Mm. So. Right. And then if I'm controlling my environment and I'm controlling the people around me, that could feel that could actually have this detrimental effect of its own. Now I'm burning bridges. Now I'm making yeah. enemies. Is that true? People don't want to be around me. And now all of this work I'm doing to try to be perfect, it's actually driving people away, right? It's backfiring big time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the cognitive thinking there, Pop, are you you thinking that some of those distortions, like labeling, like if if they don't do well, they say, I'm a failure. If I don't get perfect, I'm a failure. Or the all or nothing thinking, I have to be perfect or, or bust. Like nothing, anything short of great is, you know, is, is not, you know, that kind of, um, that overgeneralization or that'd be all or nothing i guess but some yeah. distortions in there that could we could help a, a client identify and start to see what's kind of rational and and not rational like you said yeah i think the cbt in us would say okay well let's make that that thought a little more or less distorted but what i probably also go into is so how are you doing what's been going on lately what any mm-hmm. losses how are your stress levels because sure enough there's a half a dozen things they're not talking about that have built up and caused that. So we don't have to do all that work to reframe and rewrite the rational thought because the emotion that created is, is dissipated somewhere. Mm. Okay, you're talking about uh, the perfectionism as a defense mechanism or as something to kind of deflect away. Like I'm gonna focus really hard on getting this little thing right in order to sort of avoid this bigger problem that I have over here, of a deflection in a way. Could be a bit of that. Uh, I may not have the insight though, the other problems there. I yeah. just- caught up in this irrational goal or process because my distress when it's big it just distorts our thinkings as we are thinking our thoughts as we know when you're tired you don't talk properly uh but the um the, i was thinking of it along those lines as well uh dennis you uh you jumped into our podcast halfway through not even knowing what the topic was so <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's late on a thursday night so you are certainly allowed to have an imperfection once in a while thank you um, and in fact it's been such a pleasure and joy to have you with us because you're adding a lot to the conversation as always i love it well it's a treat to pop in i uh i uh, was on another call that just ended a bit ago and so i thought well what a op- nice opportunity to visit with you guys so uh anytime visit with us and the wide wide body of listeners we have on Six of seven continents now. My goodness. Wow, it's really expanding. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be doing it. Good stuff. Well, well, let's wrap up for now. Again, Dennis, thanks again for coming. Uh, so happy to have you here and adding to the con- conversation. Uh, but that's it for tonight. Uh, please like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Spotify. YouTube, all those places. Tell a friend or two. Uh, You don't have to be perfectionistic about it, though. If you don't tell a friend or two, you can extend grace to yourself. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's it. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Take care. Good night, everyone.